You know, as we were listening to the testimonies, for me, and it should be noted by all of us, that whenever we hear a testimony that attributes to something that God is doing, it's evidence of the kingdom of heaven breaking into the here and now. Because in heaven, there is no cancer. There is no sickness. There is no illness. There is no broken people, are no broken people. Amen? Amen. So whenever you hear of, of a testimony, you should be excited because that is the kingdom of heaven breaking into the here and the now. Amen? We have been talking for the last, gosh, five weeks, four weeks, about the kingdom of heaven. It was Jesus' main message. It was the one that he carried the most. Read it. People talk about the gospel of salvation. There is a gospel of salvation, but that wasn't his main point. His main message was the gospel of the kingdom is here within reach. It's here and it's now. It was inaugurated. It has been brought into this moment. And when Jesus put his foot on the planet, boom, it started. The kingdom of God breaking through. And if you can get your head and heart around kingdom theology, man, it's a game changer. Just, that's just kind of a sidebar this morning. But I wanted to start by something I was thinking about as I was writing my notes because I want to move on from the kingdom into more of a description of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Okay, so that's where we're going to go for the next few weeks, and I'll explain how we're going to do that in a little bit. But have you ever met someone who will speak to you in riddles? <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> have you ever met someone who answers your question with a question? Or they go into this long anecdotal story about, you know, when I was three... I had this, and you're like, oh my goodness, and it gets you nowhere. How many know that one? Ernie Stone, I love that guy to death, but that guy, he would break into these anecdotal stories. How Ernie could get away with it was, they were so funny. But at the same time, you're like, okay, I'm going to wait for the answer, because he's got a story to tell me in the middle. And a lot of times, it was something really, really powerful, and, and a lot of times for Ernie, it was him telling the story that was the funniest part. Love that guy, miss that guy, but he's up there cheering us on. But this is not something new. Oddly enough, this is an age-old problem where people have been doing this for years, and most notably was Jesus. Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in riddles. And, and a lot of people had no idea what he was really talking about. In fact, his own disciples had to say, um, excuse me, Jesus... What were you saying to those people out there? We don't have a clue. And then Jesus would explain it. So we're going to talk about the why Jesus spoke in parables, the why Jesus spoke in riddles. But let me ask you something. First of all, we're going to go into Matthew 13, and over the next few weeks, we, meaning me and some others, we're going to begin to expound on these parables that Jesus taught out of Matthew 13 and how they literally describe imagery or lessons about the kingdom of God. And let me ask you a question. If you were to describe what the kingdom of heaven looked like, what would you say? Just shout it out. Healing, right. Healing. 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 
prosperity, healings, paradise, relationships, joys. These are all great terms. My father gave me an incredible gift, and I've shared this before, but some of you haven't heard it. But my father, before he was graduating into eternity, he was in the ceremony of moving forward. He was in a coma. He'd been in a coma for a month. My father was a severe diabetic uh, from a military injury, so the amounts of insulin he took was copious. It was huge volumes of insulin that he had to take. And during this month, they had just stopped everything. And for some unknown reason, my stepmother had him on life support. So he's got this big mask on, all the bells and whistles, and you could hear this, this oxygen going in and out. And for all intent and purposes, the nurses and the doctors would say, he's really not here. He's just being held alive by these machines. And I'm sitting next to his bed, and he started to stir. My dad had these intense crystal blue eyes. But at that moment, they were all glossy and glazed over. And, 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 and he started to stir. And I remember looking over, and I thought, what? And he's trying to say something. I mean, it was kind of like, whoa. So I remember I pulled the mask off, and I said, Dad, what's going on? And his eyes instantly crystal clear. That intense blue that I remembered was right there in my face. And he said, son, it is beautiful here. It is glorious beyond anything you can imagine. He spoke that with crystal clear words. And I said, dad, don't wait for us, you go. He goes, I am but I just wanted you to know. And with that, a few moments later, he slipped into eternity. What a gift. But let's be honest, there are moments when we think of heaven and eternity, it almost seems surreal. We have those moments. How many have had that moment? You're kind of like, but I'll tell you, in that moment, it settled in my heart forever. What a gift. And I've heard of others having these glimpses into eternity and passing it back. And it so ignited my heart. And it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about that transition when we graduate from here to there, knowing that right now we have a purpose. In Matthew 13, 34, it tells us that Jesus spoke all things all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Jesus, again, was always giving stories and illustrations, speaking to the crowds. He never spoke to them directly. It was always these indirect approaches to things, and he would use parables. And a parable is a simple story. It's usually there to illustrate uh, some kind of moral or spiritual lesson. And these were the ones, this was the method that Jesus used to impart to people. There was a reason he did this. Now, again, the context of everything we're talking about has to do with the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 13, we're going to find ourselves square in the middle of one of these moments when Jesus tells seven parables. And after he's finished, we read that he was rejected by the crowd and he was forced to leave. They simply did not hear what Jesus was saying. Have you ever shared Jesus with someone and they just go, stop? They do not have ears to hear. They're not listening to what you're saying. It's going in one ear and out the other. But I want to 
say something here, just a sidebar note that I think is very important, and that is every time we start reading and studying about this, this question comes up. It comes up, we hear kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Well, which is it? Yeah, but some people don't understand that. Some people have actually made a case that it's two separate things. It's not. The kingdom of heaven I wrote here occurs 68 times in 10 different New Testament books, while the kingdom of heaven, so we have the kingdom of God 68 times, 10 different books in the New Testament. And then we have the kingdom of heaven, which occurs 32 times only in the book of Matthew. And some people go, well, that has to do with, you know, uh, Matthew's look and his legalism, the laws, and, and, and stop it. Stop it. I wrote here that Jesus makes it really, really clear. If you looked in Matthew 19, if you want to turn there, you can. You make reference to it. Verses 23 and 24. He's speaking to the rich young ruler. And Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is just a sidebar note for reference. Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven and he uses the kingdom of God interchangeably. Because he says, then Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But in the very next verse, he proclaims this. He says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus makes no distinction between the two. So I think he kind of sees them as synonymous. So let's not get caught up in semantics because I run into this sometimes when we talk about this very issue. Which is it? Is it the kingdom of heaven? Is that just strictly there? Or is it the kingdom of God? What is it? To Jesus and to us, it should be the same. Okay? So let's move on to chapter 13. We're going to, just a quick overview. If I could do a quick snapshot, a quick overview of chapter 13. Again, we're going to break each one of these parables down as time goes on. But each one gives us a glimpse into understanding the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It gives us a glimpse. It's a picture. And it helps us see what it means for the kingdom of heaven to be here on earth manifesting through us. So the parables go like this in a list. There's the parable of the farmer. There is the parable of the wheat and the seeds. There is the parable of the mustard seed. There is the parable of the yeast. There is the parable of the hidden treasure. There is the parable of the pearl. And there's the parable of the fishing net. So what does all of this mean for us? What does all of this reading do for us? Listen, as we study through these parables, we're going to see a lot of interesting characteristics about the kingdom of God. And these characteristics that we're going to study are so important for us as we endeavor to live out our life here on earth right now in this moment, in such a time as this, okay? So if you have ears to hear, put your big ears on, okay? So Matthew 13, we're just going to begin to read the parable of the sower. You ready? This is out of the NIV that I'm reading out of. A lot of different translations. Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. It's interesting they stood on the shore. They, they, they knew there was something unique about Jesus and I think they wanted to really lean into it. So to me, to stand really shows honor. So here's Jesus speaking from a boat. 
Then he told them many things in parables. Here we go. Saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 8, this is such a key, key verse. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Then verse 9, whoever has ears, let him hear. You imagine sitting there and hearing this going, well, I have ears, but what am I hearing? When Jesus uses the term hear, it's more than just hearing audible sound. It, we can also hear as we read the word of God. How many know that to be true? As you're reading, physically reading the word of God, something's speaking to you and you hear that voice. How many know that one? That's good. So what he's doing here he is, is he says, whoever has ears, let him hear. He's emphasizing that people have the power to shut off hearing completely. We have the choice. We have the freedom. We have the will, at which will, God will not violate our will. We have the ability to shut it off. Even though the word of God enters in one ear, can enter through our eyes because we can see it, you can see and watch a miracle, and I've watched people see miracles physically happen, and they deny it completely, and they want to explain it away with physics or some other universal thing that goes beyond anything that God did. I mean, it's like, God did that. Well, let me explain how that works. Good luck. <laughs> then the disciples, the disciples, verse 10, came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Then he replies, this gets powerful, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And then he says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. There's something amazing happening here in this portion of Scripture. Something to me so over the top. I think, it's a, I think it's a kingdom concept that's so strange. It's like this. It's like you actually get more of what you have by living out what you do have. Do you catch that? You, I wrote this. You actually get more of what you have by living out of what you do have. So many of you have been given so much. And yet we go back to the altar and we say, I want more, God. I want more. I get the more part. I truly do. But at the end of the day, what are you doing with what God has already given you? Because if you live out of that excess of what God's already given to you, man, more will be added to you. Start giving it away. You are the seeds of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is sowing. 
He's taken those seeds, the children of God, the children of heaven. The world, the world is the field. And Jesus is scattering us throughout the world. And we are supposed to become that expression of the kingdom of God, bringing kingdom principles with us wherever we go. Lay hands on people that need to be healed. We pray for the sick. I mean, the list goes on and on. You guys know the stuff. We get to do it. Just a, just a thought. <laughs> though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be, you will, uh, <clears throat> be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's hearts have, have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Let me tell you something. We're in this moment, to me, that is so interesting. And it's like the millennials on down to whatever is on the, the plate now, Gen Z, Gen X, all this stuff, millennials down, they're looking at the world. And they're going, why even bother? I'm going to live for the moment. Most of us were raised in a generation where we worked hard because we knew that we were planting for something later. We work hard, we invest, we do things because we know there's coming a day when we're going to be able to use that to bless others. But there are generations right now that are just going, we have no hope. There's nothing for us to live for. We've seen the news. It's all going there in a handbasket. I give up. I'm tired. I don't want to, I don't, I don't need to work nine. I don't need benefits. I don't need what you need, dad. I'm not saying my kids say that to me. Just, just saying, I don't want phone calls. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's a generation of young people that are spinning right now. And the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is the kingdom of heaven coming into their midst. And God has placed that seed in you to go out and cast those seeds among the, that, those generations. Be those people. Be the farmers. Sow the seed. Does that make sense? Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. All of this, this peril has everything to do with our hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it with joy. But since they do not have any root, they last only a short time. To me, that's like preaching the gospel to someone on the street. I, I, amen. I think it's wonderful. And then you walk away going, hey, be warm and fed. I'll see you later. If you're going to step up and swing for the fences and invite people into the kingdom, you need to be responsible to disciple them, to come alongside them. That doesn't mean you say, come to my church, but that means you invest part of your time, which is an expensive commodity today. You, you invest some of your time into their lives. You walk with them. You share with them. You move with them. You help them navigate the waters. Does that make sense? This preaching the gospel and walking away, I, I, I've had it with that. Now, here in my heart, I've done tons of street ministry. I've, 
Man, I've crawled under bridges. I've, my wife and I, we lived in a mission house. We pastored for two years. We've done it. My heart is there. But it, it makes me sad when I hear people just run down and, and, and they just want to invite Jesus in your heart. Okay, I'm, I'm doing it. And then they walk away. And they never engage with those people again. Now, hear me. There can be a moment you preach with someone. Apollos planted or watered and Paul planted. I mean, so there is that process. I get that. But I'm saying be careful. Be careful. The seed falling from among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But listen to verse 23. It's beautiful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The, the NIV puts it like this. Still another seed fell on fertile so soil, the NLV, I'm sorry, and they produced a crop which was thirty, sixty, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. The message says it yields a crop beyond their wildest dreams. I love that. So here we have these parables. Here we have these metaphors. Here we have these, these uh, all kinds of ways that Jesus would present the gospel, would present truth. But listen, really at the end of the day, all of these were not for just reading. They weren't for just hearing. They weren't for just studying. They were meant for heeding, listening to, leaning into, following after. Really, at the end of the day, they were meant to stimulate some really intense thought. And that's what Jesus did so well, is he always seemed to go in and challenge the groupthink. And Jesus had a way of fending their minds to reveal their hearts. And this is one of those moments when he uses parables to do just like that. So let's unpack this parable super fast. In this first, I think, really, really super important parable, Jesus is the farmer. Jesus is the sower. So we'll call him Farmer Jesus. <laughs> he is saying that his listeners are like soil. Now listen, the soil is essentially the same. All the soil is essentially the same. We, we just hear, he went out and cast the seed upon the soil. Now there's different soil types and conditions out there in the middle of it. But listen, it's the preparation that's different. One soil has become hard as stone. Another has become shallow. Another one has become crowded because it's choked out by the weeds. But the last one, for some bizarre reason, not, has become just right. So everything as far as farmer Jesus is concerned depends upon the harvest. So all the soils, when you think about it, they get the same sowing. They get the same seed. They get the same growing season. And they have the same amount of rainfall. We don't read anything in this parable about any of that being different. But only one soil at the end of the day could be harvested. And that was which soil? The good soil. It was only the one that gave the farmer what he wanted and what he needed. So only one type of soil I wrote here made it to the end of the season and it was carried home by farmer Jesus. So again... From the perspective of the farmer, which soil was good? The one that gave the greatest harvest. 
So Jesus goes on to explain in verse 19, he said, the soil represents the hearts of the hearers. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. The seed, that is the seed sown along the path. So the difference in the soil is what the difference is the difference in their hearts. It's based on a willingness to accept the word, the seed, the word of God. So really at the end of this day, all of this comes down to heart conditions. Some people have hard hearts. Some people have hearts that are so crushed by the world. Some people have hearts that are shallow. But then there are a people group that has a heart that's ready to receive everything that God has and that everything God is speaking. I wrote here, Jesus puts the responsibility for responding to his sowing on the hearers. It's our responsibility to respond to what God is seeing. He says that some hearts are hardened, some are shallow, some are crowded, but yet some are ready and some are willing. We are the ones. We are the ones who determine what kind of soil our hearts will be. We decide whether we're going to have a hard heart. We decide whether we're going to have a shallow or a crowded heart, or we decide if we're going to have a heart that's ready and willing to receive what God has for us. This is exactly what James meant when he said in James 1.21, you might mark this, he said, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with all meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Most of you are here today because you received the word. You allowed it to be planted in your heart, but it goes deeper. So if I was to summarize the point of the parable of the sower, it would come down to this. A person's reception of God's word is determined by the condition of their heart. It's so important for us to understand that when we accept his word, then all of a sudden, in verse 38, Jesus says, he begins talking about a good seed. And he says, the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. And listen, the good seed is the one who produces a crop. The good seed is the one that brings in a harvest. The good seed is you, O people of the kingdom, as you're scattering yourself out amongst the nations. One seed of wheat. I lived up in the Dalles and wheat fields. The wheat fields were forever up there on these rolling hills. One seed, farmer would plant, would produce this stock that would produce many seeds. That's us. God wants to reproduce you and me many, 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 many times over. So this morning, I want to kind of wrap with this. The word and its ability to settle in our heart is determined by the condition of your heart. Determined. Determined is an interesting word. It's having made a firm decision and being resolved not to change. So what determines the condition of our hearts? What determines if a person, in, when the winds of adversity blow, like they're blowing right now, what determines if a person folds? What determines if a person takes their football and says, I'm done with Jesus, I'm done with this, I'm going home? What determines that? 
What determines if, if, if someone else is going through the same winds of adversity, the same trials are hitting them and smacking them around, and all of a sudden they stand straight up in the winds of adversity and speak to the storm and say, stop. What determines that? What determines if a person comes through life and, and rises up to the call of God on their life in spite of their journey, in spite of their backstory, in spite of all the pain that they've gone through? But for some reason, they stand up and they go, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to live from the past. I'm not a victim. I am a victor. And they begin to move in. What determines that? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you what does not determine your life or what you become or who you are. Your circumstances, they don't get to determine the outcome of your life. I could write a book on my life and what's happened to me, my arm, my story, my... Uh, crazy, I could write a book, but it's not going it's, it's, to... If anything, it's pushed me to be a victor and not a victim. Don't be a victim. Don't play that card. Rise above it. Your obstacles and your opportunities, that's not what determines your life. It's not how much money you make. It's not your net worth. It's not about the books that you've read or the sermons or the pad, uh, podcasts that you've listened to. None of that determines the life that you live. You get to determine that, your heart. Listen, two people can read the same book. Two people can go to the same church and they can attend the same conference. And I've seen this happen. They leave, one person is radically changed and altered forever. The other person, nothing. Nothing's here, nothing to see, and they move on. How do you account for that? How do you account for that? What determines the choices that you and I make? What, what goals that we pursue? What decides the life that you're going to live, the person that you become, the impact that you make, the legacy that you leave? What determines that? More than anything else, I believe it's determined by knowing who and whose you are. Who you are at the very core of your being. Has the word gone into your heart so deep because you've allowed it to sink deep within rich soil that you know that you know that you know that God's got this? It's what's in your heart. It's the attitudes that reside there. It's the code that you live your life by. So many people I hear, I read the scriptures, pastor, I believe the truth is rock solid, but we know today, stop it. Like I said in the past, get your butts out of there. If God's word says it's this, it's that, and that alone. Don't add anything else to it. Don't, don't start throwing it, but you, know, you don't understand my circumstances. Stop it. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Look into the pond and you will see your face. So if you were to take an honest stop and an honest evaluation of your life, really stop and ponder and take a look at your life, you'll see your heart. You'll see that the choices we make, the goals that we pursue, the way we treat others, the goodness we exhibit, and the wrongs that we commit, all of this are simply a reflection of the heart within us. When someone comes to me with bitter, they're bitter and they're angry, it's not hard to say there's bitterness in their heart. When someone comes to me and they say, you know, I'm struggling with it, and you get to speak into their life, and they're going, oh, thank you, that, what a tender heart. That's what God wants, hearts that are moldable. Listen, 
Proverbs 23, 7 says, so as a man thinks, he is. So as a man thinks, he is. I'm telling you, so many of you have been told lies your entire life. You've been told you're not good, you're not good enough, heard wicked things like, why can't you be like your brother? How come you're not like your sister? Why can't you do... How many grew up hearing really derogatory things in your life? Yeah. Ah, get the back of the bus. You're no good. I've had parents come to me, well, children come to me, and their parents told them they weren't wanted. That creates such a spirit of abandonment. That cracks their hearts. But God and God alone can fix that. So the thoughts that we think matter. And listen, if that scripture is true, then the mind and what we think can influence the heart. So at the end of the day, what thoughts do you entertain and hold on to? What thoughts do you nurture and you pursue? And here's a tricky one. What thoughts do we value enough that we're going to get up and we're going to act on them and change how we live? All of this, everything that I mentioned, is determined by the condition of your heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So the heart in a biblical sense isn't this little 11, 12-ounce thing that's pumping blood through your body in a spiritual sense. It's command central. It's sifting through your thoughts. It's determining your values. It's motivating you to pursue certain goals and to turn away from others. That's your heart. And according to Proverbs, I wrote, it's from the character and the condition of our hearts that our lives spring forth. So, the seed is being cast. Is it landing on good soil? Only you can answer that. Is your heart open and receptive to what God is sowing into the world? And if you believe that with all your heart, then you will become one of those good seeds that God will gather up and cast them out into the world to demonstrate the presence of his kingdom here and now. It's begun, my friends. So I ask you, what is the condition of your heart? We go to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor will tell us how good our heart's doing. I'll be honest, there's some of you in this room that have heart conditions in a spiritual sense. Physically, yeah. Spiritually, it's what I'm after right now. Some of you feel like your heart stopped. Something happened in your life, something really traumatic, and you're like, "I, I just, my heart's just not there. You're discouraged. You're looking at the horizon going, it's war's breaking out. Everything's happening. Ah, I get it. Let's stand. Remember, you actually get more of what you have by living out of what you do have. Do you have enough in you to freely give away? Or 
Are you having this heart condition where your heart's fluttering in this moment? And you're looking at the world and you're going, oh, I don't know. I put my seatbelt on and I'm hunkered down. Maybe, maybe you need to tell your heart to beat again. When you go in for heart surgery, they typically will stop your heart, do what they need to do, and then they re-jump your, start your heart. Some of you are in that moment. You need your heart restarted because you're having a hard time hearing and understanding what Jesus is saying in this season. It could be because your heart's hard. It could be bitter. It could be, you heard the list. Let's take care of that. We're going to listen to a song. It's a, it's a powerful song. I just want you to listen to it. And if that's you, if you want oh, your heart to start again, I want you to come forward and we want to pray for you. Shattered like you've never been before The life you knew In a thousand pieces on the floor And words fall short times like these but this world drives you to your knees you think you're never gonna get back to the youth they used to be tell your 